1976, Bruce Springsteen shook the entire music world to its foundations with the landmark album Born to Run. It was released August 25th, 1975, later that same year. The late great Bon Scott of ACDC wailed those immortal lyrics, getting had, getting took. Tell you folks, it's harder than it looks. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Well, we're going to discover the long road to leadership, how we're born into it with the author of The Long Road to Boston, Tech Canada Chair, Mark Sutcliffe, on this edition of The Leadership Standard. So, Mark, welcome to the program. It's great to have you here. And so I'm so interested right away in many, many things. I, I just want to dive in and tell everyone watching and listening that your TED Talk, your TEDx Talk uh, about running luck and winning the ovarian lottery and what we're going to explore today from a leadership perspective is absolutely, in my view, on the must-view TED Talks of any I've ever seen. So I, I think that's a great place to start, Mark, is what was the aha moment? You wrote the book, Long Road to Boston, about your odyssey to get to the Boston Marathon, but I'd love to hear, kind of like if you could crystallize it, the moment when you realize the world needed to hear your story. Well, thank you, Garen. First of all, it's a great pleasure to be with you and to be on the podcast and to, to share time with you. I'm grateful for that. I, I know some of your story as well, and I'm inspired by what you do. And it's, a, it's just a, truly an honor to be on this podcast. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, I guess for me, the aha moment came somewhere along the way when I was training to try to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So for those people who don't know, the Boston Marathon is the oldest marathon in the world. It's been run uh, almost every year. Of course, it didn't happen this year. Uh, since 1897, uh, the year after the original Olympic marathon in Athens in 1896. And in order to get a chance to run the Boston Marathon, you have to run another marathon at a fast pace. So you have to qualify. You can't just register for it like other events. And so my quest from the time I started running marathons uh, many years ago, was to run the Boston Marathon. And uh, for whatever reason, I seem to be uh, just on the edge of, uh, of being, you know, fast enough that I've got a chance, but not so fast that it's easy. There are people who make their Boston qualifying time by 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever. I was always coming up just short. And I think what clicked for me was that at a certain point, I started to feel a little bit sorry for myself for the fact that I kept trying and failing to get into the Boston Marathon. I felt a little bit like Charlie Brown having the ball snatched away by Lucy at the last moment uh, every time I went to, to kick it. Uh, I had all these strange circumstances conspiring against me, uh, thunderstorms and, and uphill races and all of these things that held me back. Uh, and then one day when I was running, I just realized I'm looking at this the wrong way, that, that the fact that I'm even able to run, the fact that I'm in a position where uh, I can get close enough that I have a shot at qualifying, the fact that I even run long distances for exercise and that that's what I do and I need that exercise because life doesn't beat me up enough 
with physical labor during the course of the day that I actually have to go out and burn extra calories to stay in shape, uh, that I'm actually really lucky even if I don't qualify for the Boston Marathon. And I think once you change that outlook and you start realizing how almost everything in life is a bonus when you start with great fortune, when you start with good luck, uh, it changes your perspective on everything. I absolutely love what you just said, Mark. And I don't want to give away your TED Talk. I want to encourage people to look up Mark Sutcliffe. And and I don't want to ruin the ending. But what you just said about we have a tendency, don't we, to look at things the wrong way. And I'd love to hear your perspective on how COVID-19, the global pandemic of 2020, is now forcing leaders to stop looking at things the wrong way and start looking at things in a completely different fashion. Yeah, I think obviously there are people throughout this crisis who have been dramatically and harshly affected by it. Lives have been lost. People have been seriously ill. Livelihoods have been lost as well. But I think for a lot of people, and I've been so fortunate to witness this through my experience as a tech chair and through some of the other business leaders that I coach, uh, that there are so many business people who are, who are, you know, in the initial days of this, yes, they were, they were overwhelmed. They were, felt confronted with adversity. They didn't know what to do. Uh, but very quickly, they adapted and, to use the word that has been used a lot in 2020, pivoted. Uh, you know, they, they started looking at new ways to do business. They, uh, they had formed different relationships with their with their partners, with their employees, with their customers, with their suppliers, uh, and they made the best of it. And I, I think there really is, that is something that is uniquely human. If, if, if we had been told at the beginning of this year, if you and I were talking in January 2020 and someone had said, here's what's going to happen this year, I don't think we would have expected as much adaptation, as much uh, opportunistic thinking, as much capitalizing on the circumstances as opposed to just responding to the circumstances as we've seen. And that takes a certain kind of leadership and thinking. And I'm, I'm inspired by all the people who have demonstrated that this year. I, I can't help but think too. And I want, there's a few things I want to get into here today. Not the least of which is you've got a very popular radio program in the Ottawa area. It's uh, I, I know part of uh, 1310 News Ottawa today. It's a one-hour business program. You've been in the business community, Mark, for a long, long time and, and have, have developed a, you know, a, a following and a base uh, in our nation's capital. Uh, did I mention the TED Talk? I think <laughs> I mentioned the TED Talk, um, which I want everyone to really be aware of because I think that's one of the bonuses for anyone listening today going forward is it's a it's really a chance to re-examine a lot of things. But just hearing what you just said, Mark, strikes me as, isn't that interesting? The metaphorical parallels between COVID-19 and what a marathon runner goes through in terms of growth. Love to hear your thoughts on that because it's like the bigger the shock, the bigger the growth. So what's happened to a, what happens to a marathoner in terms of the bigger the shock and the wear and tear on the human body, I'm wondering if the same sort of universal principle would apply to anyone in business today, anyone who's in a role or a position of leadership. Yeah, that's a great question, Gary. And, and the way I look at it is, if you think about it, nobody has to run a marathon. 
right? There's no logical reason to run a marathon. It's not uh, a requirement of our Canadian no. citizenship. <laughs> exactly. And, right. uh, and in fact, it, you know, you could say, oh, you get your, it's exercise, whatever. You, you get more than enough exercise from running eight or 10K. You don't need to run 42K. There's, there's no logical reason to m- run a marathon. So why do we do it? Why do we, we do these things? Why do some people climb out Kilimanjaro? Why do some people do Ironman triathlons? Why do some people uh, climb mountains and, and rocks and, and go scuba diving and test their limits? There's a reason we do that. We like to do that. We, we relish the opportunity to test ourselves, to start from a place of, I can't do that, and get to a place of, I can do that. And we enjoy bumping up against limits and pushing them further. Uh, so I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, I think, are in that category because, again, every entrepreneur is someone who could probably make a higher salary in most cases, especially at the outset of their businesses, could make a higher salary in a nine to five job or, a, or an executive leadership role with a company they don't own but they choose to be entrepreneurs because they want to test themselves. They want to push up against the boundaries. They want to stretch the limits. So every entrepreneur in this circumstance is partly thinking, wow, these are devastating circumstances. This is really tough. Uh, I wish this didn't happen. I wish I could have just carried on the path I was going. I was on a bit of a roll in February and now things have been derailed. But they're also partly thinking, this is my moment. This is my test. This is my challenge. I want to know if I'm the kind of person who can rise to this occasion. And that's why we run marathons. And that's why we face down challenges as business leaders. Suddenly you sounded very JFK. We choose to go to the moon, (laughs) not because it's easy, but because it is hard and what it demands. And, and so when you think now about your leadership journey, um, even though we know, and I want to get into this a little bit as well, about how we actually are born into it and luck plays a bigger factor than most of us realize, I'd love to hear the story of how you evolved as a leader. So for people watching or listening today, or they watch your TED Talk, they go, well, there's the guy on stage. There's the guy who delivered a fantastic message that was obviously very well thought out, very well prepared. But where does all this go back to, Mark? Take us back, you know, even before you got into broadcasting. And, and just so people know a little bit about what we said about Bon Scott, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Yeah. And so in some respects, I'll, I'll acknowledge, and this is part of my, my TEDx talk, part of my, part of my story, is I was born lucky. Uh, so I was born to immigrants uh, who moved to Canada separately and each had their own backstory of why they came to this country and the unusual events that, that led them here. And, uh, and so I was incredibly fortunate to be born in Canada to two loving parents uh, in a middle-class family uh, in a time and place of prosperity and opportunity. Uh, you know, so right there, I'm, you know, already just the circumstances of my birth put me at one in a hundred million or one in 500 million people in the history of the human race. So I'm incredibly lucky. Uh, The the other part of my story, I think, is a journey from being an incredibly shy, introverted young person to being the kind of person who could stand on a stage and deliver a talk or host a radio show or MC events or do television programs as well. 
uh, or lead a business. Uh, when I was a kid, I was uh, always hiding behind my mom's legs when we'd meet new people. Um, and, uh, and part of my story, which is, you know, one of the things, one of the cards that gets dealt to you that you just have to play is that uh, when I was very young, I was advanced a grade. Uh, so I learned how to read when I was really young. My parents taught me. And because of that, I, I jumped ahead of grade. And from that point on, I was always the smallest kid in my class until high school. And that was uh, a life-altering moment that, that, uh, that affected how I thought about myself. It affected uh, uh, my school experience. I was never on any sports teams because I was always smaller and weaker than all the other boys. Um, I never realized I had any athletic ability at all until I was an adult. Um, so, um, so it created some challenges for me that I had to overcome. And, um, and I, I think there were, uh, there were positives and negatives to all of that, but obviously it's all part of what led me to this place today. So along the way, I guess it's hard to go back and, and figure out what the little elements were that led to this. I'm sure it's a, a thousands of things. But um, I learned to um, I learned to be more confident, more assertive. I got I started developing an interest in the media. I started volunteering at, at a radio station, a campus radio station at Carleton University, uh, because I loved news and sports, and um, started having some fun with that. And everything kind of developed from there. You think there was a moment, though, when you started, when you look back now, because that's the beauty of history and, 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 and hindsight, you know, 2020 vision. Can you define kind of like a moment where leadership was one of those things that was going to be always a part of your journey? That's a great question. I, I, um, I think I became a leader before I realized I was one in, in a way. Uh, I, I was uh, very ambitious and wanted to do lots of di different things and interesting things. And so I started my first business when I was 19 years old. I uh, got involved in another business in my 20s. And, oh, do tell. Uh, first business, yeah. 19. What was it? Okay. So the first business I started, uh, you got you to gotta think about the context here. It's of 19... Course. It's the late 1980s. There is no internet. There's barely even uh, pay TV, a cable television. You know, we, I grew up in an environment of three channels on the TV. And then we got cable when, and a color TV when I was maybe 10 years old. Um, so uh, uh, I had, uh, as a sports fan, the frustration of not always knowing what the outcomes were of all the sports events that I had been paying attention to the day before. And of course, in these days, you know, there might have been one hockey game and uh, on TV per week, uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, there, there wasn't, you know, sport 24 hour sports channels showing nothing but but hockey uh, all day, all week long. Um, and, and or a channel showing every single Blue Jays game. So uh, as a sports fan, I created this this uh, sports information phone service where you could call 24 hours a day and hear okay all the latest scores and news stories from the world of sports on tape. Uh, and I updated it regularly. So if you called it at nine o'clock at night, you'd hear partial NHL scores and baseball scores and basketball scores. So you were doing this as a kid running yeah. to the phone to update the machine. Is that what yep, I'm picturing? Exactly. Yeah. I had these heavy duty industrial answering machines and I would record a sports cast every 15 or 20 minutes every evening 
uh, on these machines and I sold advertising. So before you heard the scores, you had to listen to an ad. Okay. And, um, and that was kind of my first business. That's incredible. Suddenly, I picture Kramer with movie phone, but you actually did the work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and went yeah. out there and turned it into a business. Well, that, that's so fascinating, Mark, because I think those more and more, uh, I've come to believe some of those early experiences are so foundational that uh, they, they really lead us onto a path. We don't necessarily know where it's going to go, but Yet, when you look back, you can see, yeah, that was a pretty big moment. Uh, it, because we do, um, you know, do deeper dives on the subject of leadership. Uh, hey, the program's called the Leadership Standard. How would you define leadership? I think leadership is a lot of things. Um, but ultimately, it is about deciding where you need to go and inspiring other people to help you get there. Uh, and uh, it does rely on other people. Uh, you can't succeed on your own. It's impossible to do things all by yourself. So it really is about, uh, about figuring out where you want to get to and then engaging with other people, clients, employees, partners, uh, supporters, and, giving them that vision and then learning from them the, what you need to know in order to get there and being able to adapt um, and, and really handing that mission off to a group of people, which includes you, but is not all about you. Handing that mission off and seeing where it goes. And, and then in an ideal world, really supporting those people in fulfilling that mission. Uh, so it's not about you anymore and it's not you accomplishing something. It's them accomplishing something. I, I, again, love what you just said about it re involves relying on other people. It's not a solo act. Lead that's what I'm hearing. Leadership is not a solo act. Uh, Springsteen, you know, uh, had the E street band. He, he, he probably wouldn't have gotten out of New Jersey without those guys. What do you say to someone right now? Someone listening right now who's struggling, Mark, with trying to communicate their vision so that it does lead others. How, how would you respond to that? Well, I would say engage them in the process. Uh, you know, talk to them about uh, what you're trying to achieve and ask them a lot of questions. Uh, you know, I, I always feel you'll, you'll run out of questions, uh, sorry, you'll run out of answers long before you run out of questions in any situation, right? So ask people lots of questions about what they think and learn from them uh, and keep refining that objective until it's something that uh, you think will engage them. Um, because you're not going to, uh, you can't be prescriptive about this kind of thing. You can't be top down. You can't be you know, of course, you know, it, can you hire somebody and tell them what to do all the time? Absolutely. But is that buy-in? Is that ownership? Is that person going to be looking out for your best interests and fulfilling the mission when you're not there to say exactly what to do? No. So you need buy-in. And I think you get buy-in through engagement and asking a lot of questions and, and including people in the, in the vision process. In your role as an author, in your role as a leader in your community, now in your role as a chair with Tech Canada, the country's largest 
uh, CEO Peer Advisory Network. Are there some common myths that you've uncovered about leadership? Um, well, one of the ones that I have uh, really taken to heart is Jim Collins writes in Good to Great about the attributes of a good leader and how there is a perception that leaders are these larger than life, charismatic, almost uh, movie star or political hero kind of uh, figures, uh, really uh, like the Lee Iacocas and, and these, you know, these titans of business, when in fact, uh, the most effective leaders are people who are quieter, more unassuming, uh, who are less likely to take credit and share credit with others, uh, more likely to share credit with others. They're more likely to take responsibility when there's, when something goes wrong rather than blame it on others. Um, that it is, um, that, that it's not just about being loud. It's not just about being out there and making bold statements. Uh, that it really is the mechanics of, uh, of running a good company, of engaging people effectively, looking after their needs so that they feel empowered to look after the interests of the company. They say, Mark, there's no better teacher than failure. Can you think of a moment and a specific story where there's something you failed at but ultimately grew? Sure, I can think of two things. One is from running and one is from business. Uh, you know, I qualified for the Boston Marathon in my 20th marathon. Uh, so uh, I took a very serious run at it uh, many times before I succeeded. And uh, as uh, I mentioned earlier, I came up just short many times. One time I, I think I missed by about, uh, by about 30 or 40 seconds. Um, and so uh, it, it, you know, the, the journey became, uh, you start out with something like that with the destination uh, in mind. Yeah. Right? And I want everyone to hear this because yeah. I think this is, you failed, quote unquote, failed 19 times to qualify. Right. For the Boston Marathon before you actually did it. You had yeah. to run 19 marathons quote unquote, mess up. And only then you got in. Yeah. It's funny. The first time I ran a marathon, I did a clinic at the running room and uh, the, the, the leader of the clinic said, you know, we were all asking him questions. We were all first time marathon runners were, were firing questions at him. What, you know, what should I do about this, whatever. And he said, you know, don't worry about it too much. Your only goal in your first marathon is to, is to finish because then you'll have completed a marathon. And he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, you only really start getting good at running marathons after you've done about nine or 10 of them. And I wow. remember thinking, wait a second, I don't even know if I can do one. Like, don't talk to me about doing nine or 10. I didn't, th I thought I was going to do one marathon and that would be the end of it. I'd never have to do it again. Boxes ticked, you know, but of course then I got hooked. Um, and in a way he was right because you learn so much each time you do it and you learn different things each time you do it. And I think there is, in our society, a huge emphasis on shortcuts these days, on, you know, uh, read this book and, and you'll learn everything you need to know about something in, in a few short hours, and then sure. you're an expert. Uh, Three hacks to starting your multi-million dollar business exactly. in less than seven days. Yeah. Get rich quick, lose yeah. weight fast, learn a new language in two weeks. You know, there's all this messaging around 
And, right. and we share stories, right? We share stories of people who are overnight successes. I would argue that many of them are not. When you see the winner of American Idol, typically there's somebody who's actually been performing and honing their craft for a really long time. They didn't just show up in an audition and then win a music competition. Um, but even those people who do get rich quick or, or who are overnight success stories, because it does happen, they are the exception. In reality, everybody who, almost everybody who is successful is someone who works at it for a really, really long time and learns and refines and grows. Uh, it's the 10,000 hour rule. And so for me, I learned a lot from those failures running uh, marathons to qualify for Boston, including the fact that, you know, I was getting something out of that journey and, and it wasn't all about the destination that I, I loved running. I loved training. I loved testing myself. I loved making progress. And, uh, and it wasn't just about getting to the finish line. Uh, the, the process mattered and was worth it and maybe was even more important than the destination. So that's the running lesson. Um, I made, I've made lots of mistakes in business. Um, I've made investments in business that I probably shouldn't have. And one that comes to mind is I, I partnered with a guy who had some experience in, in, uh, in a food franchise. And, um, and the, my goal was to be an investor in this business, to contribute a little bit, and, uh, you know, to, sh to, to take my knowledge that I'd learned, and this is where I maybe was getting a little overconfident, from the other businesses I'd been involved in and apply it to this particular business. And uh, it didn't work out and I lost some money. Um, but the lesson that I learned from that is, you know, number one, I went out of my lane, which I should not have done. Number two, uh, I was an investor in a business that I wasn't going to have a lot of control over which is not for me. Uh, number three, the kind of deal that I wanted at the outset was not the deal we ended up having. And the location of the franchise was not the location I would have picked. And I deferred to him because he had more experience. But the, in both cases, they ended up being wrong for me. And I still mm. went ahead and did it, even though I shouldn't have. I didn't take the off ramps when they, when they came along. So I learned a lot from that experience. Uh, it was an expensive lesson, but, it, but I learned a lot. You know, and that brings up a whole other subject around leadership, which is the topic of influences and mentors and how much they can either influence in a positive way. But if you're not careful and align yourself with the wrong mentors, I'd just love to hear your top of mind thoughts on that, Mark, because now here you are, you're in a mentorship role as a Tech Canada chair. You're in a coaching role. What advice or insights can you provide for someone who wants to know a little bit more about what to watch for in terms of, you know, who to, uh, who, who to follow sort of or a company on the journey? I think it comes back to what we were just talking about, Gare, and that is, uh, it is a journey. It is a long game. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, I, I love listening to uh, podcasts like yours and others where there's a, there's a big discussion and not, uh, you know, a few quick tips. Um, and I think coaching and mentoring is a long journey. I think entrepreneurship is a long journey. It is like, running 19 marathons before you finally qualify in your 20th marathon for the Boston Marathon. So um, I, would, I would start there and say, you want somebody who is going to be 
with you and it has the long journey in mind. And in fact, as somebody who is going to keep prompting you to think about that, the, one of the toughest things to do as a business owner or CEO is to stay focused on long-term goals when you're constantly confronted with short-term challenges. You're putting out fires rather than, uh, rather than building your business. So, you know, ideally a coach and mentor is going to keep you on that track. Even as you are solving problems in the short term, you're still focused on the long horizon of where you want to take the business. I think that's a big part of it. I think um, a coach or a mentor who asks a lot of questions is critical. Um, someone who challenges you, somebody who makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes um, because uh, you don't want to go there. Uh, you know you're exposed a little bit. You know you're accountable in an area where you haven't uh, lived up to your own expectations. Um, I think it, it's all about uh, long-term vision and accountability. And, uh, and I think a coach can support you in that. And I think it's a crucial role because it's very hard to challenge yourself. It's very hard uh, for your team to challenge you as well. It's very hard, you know, everybody has an agenda. Everybody has a bias. You, you can have friends and family members who love you and care about you and want you to be successful, but they also have their own sort of skew on things. They may want you to work less or they may want you to sell the business in a certain number of years so you can retire, um, those kinds of things. Or they may just not fully understand the business or why it's so important to you. Um, your team has a, has a vested interest. They have their own careers that are at stake. So where you need to have somebody in your life who is separate and distinct from all of that, unbiased, unfiltered, challenging you, encouraging you, supporting you uh, to really be successful. You know, I can't help but think, uh, especially as I reflect on your book, uh, The Long Road to Boston, uh, you know, the pursuit of the world's most coveted marathon. How uh, strikingly similar are those experiences, not only running a marathon and running a business, but writing a book? And, and I look at your book, Mark, and I know you're very proud of it, uh, but how many, what did the book experience, being a published author, what did that kind of uh, show you about the journey, as it were? Yeah, I learned a lot from that process. Um, I learned a lot from delivering that TEDx talk as well, because uh, that was a challenging uh, experience to, to get the, to get the content just right, to memorize it, which is not something, you know, I've done a lot of speaking, but I'd never memorized a, a 17 or 18 minute talk before word for word. Uh, but the book I think, uh, was a great lesson because as you say, it is like running a marathon. It is, uh, it is like, um, building a business. And I, I would put it in the category of, uh, you know, Bill Gates once said, most people, overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. And I think that's a really powerful way to think about things because life is, is not about leaping from one spot to another. Life is really incremental. And the process of building a business is incremental. You start with something, you add to it, and then you add to that, and then you add to that, and you just keep building. I like to think of, of, where we go in life, and, and you said something earlier, Gare, that alluded to this, that we, we start on a chessboard in one particular square, 
and we can move to any adjacent square, but it's very difficult to move two or three squares at a time. You move to an adjacent square, but the great thing about moving to that adjacent square is that means there's a bunch of new adjacent squares around that one. And so then you go into one of those and then there's a bunch of new adjacent squares. So writing the book was really a process of carving out time. Uh, it's really easy to say, I don't have time to write. Everybody's busy. Everybody's got a full life. They've got a job. They've got responsibilities. They've got a family. They have, they have pursuits. They have health and fitness. But you've just got to carve out that time and then sit down and write. So I broke it down. I gave myself a deadline. You know, this doesn't sound very fun and creative, uh, but I basically said, if I'm going to finish this book by this date, I've got to write X number of words per week. And then I just started carving out time, sitting down and writing and making sure I wrote that many number of words per week. Those words didn't have to be perfect. They didn't have to be amazing. I was going to go back and edit them later, but I had to pump out a certain number of words per week. And I had a spreadsheet where I kept track of it. And I made sure that I stayed ahead and never fell behind. And then I, you know, incrementally, you know, you start small, you start out with 500 words, but you keep doing that over and over again. And before you know it, you've got 50,000 words or 60,000 words, and you've got something that you can edit and turn into a book. I, you know, and listening to you again, Mark, uh, and I think of your background as a runner, but a writer, an author, a speaker, a coach, a mentor, I think what you're touching on might be the number one daily habit that you believe has led to your success. So what could you offer for anyone listening or watching right now, the, the number one habit that you think is blazed kind of like this trail that Mark Sutcliffe uh, has created? So if you'll permit me to say two things. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, I think, first of all, it is about carving out time. So okay. uh, there is, there is uh, you know, the number one question people ask me is, how do you have time to run? You're so busy. You're involved in businesses. Uh, you do broadcasting. You do writing. You're a Tech Canada chair. How do you have time to run? And it is all about carving out time to do it and making that commitment, making that appointment with yourself that you're going to go and do it. So anything important, you've got to find the time to do it. And you've got to put that in your calendar first, either mentally or actually put it in your calendar. You've so got do you to actually like put it in the calendar? Do you yeah. have dates with yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it, for anything important, you know, you've got to, you've got to say, I'm going to block off the time. I'm not going to let anybody else touch that time. Uh, because otherwise weeks are going to go by where you don't you actually do that thing. So if you want to do it, make it happen. Um, you know, set goals for yourself. One of my goals this year was to do more writing. So again, I went back to that idea of I'm going to keep track of how many words I write every day. And I'm going to set a goal that I'm going to write 500 words a day, no matter what could be about anything, but I'm going to write 500 words a day. And then gradually, once I've created that habit, I'm going to focus in on what is it that I'm actually writing here? Am I writing a blog? Am I writing a book? Am I writing a journal? Am I writing for myself? Am I writing for others? At this point, it doesn't matter. I just want to get writing again. Um, so that's, that's first and foremost in terms of a time management practice. Uh, the other thing I would say is start with gratitude. That's the, the number one thing for me right now is I am trying to be mindful all the time of all the blessings in my life, all the luck that I've had as a reminder of the fact that everything else that happens from this point forward, you know, as much as I have ambitions and as much as I can fall into some of the traps of, 
being disappointed in in outcomes and results and and wishing things were different from how they are. Um, when you take a, a look at your life and realize how lucky you are, you you have to acknowledge that that whatever's going on and whatever succeeds and fails is really in the category of house money. It's a bonus. You know, uh, I can't have from this point forward. I can't have any complaints. Um, so start with gratitude. Notice the things around you uh, that that you're grateful for, and then you will. Then the things that that let you down and the things that disappoint you won't seem so big. One of the things we like to do, uh, and if, if for anyone who listens uh, to the leadership standard on on a consistent basis. We always like to get rid of the professional mask. We want to go up close and personal. Uh, peek behind the curtain. On a scale of one to 10, Mark Sutcliffe, how weird are you? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. That's a, that's a very broad question, Gare. Um, I think I am a little bit nerdy. Um, I don't know that I'm, I'm actually, I would say I'm, I'm more boring than weird, probably. You know? What about you're out there running or you're driving in your car? What do you think about the most? Um, I, my mind wanders all over the place. Um, and, uh, and I, that's one of the things I love about running is that it gives me a chance for my mind to wander. Um, so sometimes I'm writing while I'm running. Sometimes I'm formulating ideas that I'm going to burst through the door, grab a pen and paper and write down before I forget them. Um, sometimes I'm thinking about, um, uh, my family and, uh, the, the need to be more present, uh, around my kids and not be focused on work or on other things. Um, um, sometimes I'm, I'm just, you know, what, what I love the most is when you're running or you're driving or you're walking or whatever, and you have that qual that quiet time that it allows you to put the pieces together of something. So if you're formulating a new idea and there have just been a bunch of blocks to this idea, you know, you're going to do this, you'd like to do that. You get a chance to actually put those pieces together in a way that they make sense for the first time. And that has happened to me many times when I've been running or walking um, or driving my car. What books are you reading right now? I just uh, started reading The Trillion Dollar Coach, which is a fascinating story uh, of a, a coach um, who went from coaching football to coaching high-tech CEOs in, in, uh, in California. Um, and I, uh, also just finished reading, um, getting things done by David Allen, which is a, a book about, um, managing your time. Um, I read fiction as well. Um, I've, um, I've got a lot of books on my list that I want to get to. Um, so yeah, I have, I, I have an eclectic taste of, of, uh, combination of fiction and, and business books. Which room? in the Sutcliffe home resonates with you the most? <laughs> right now, it's my stepdaughter's bedroom because we have an open concept house and during the, the pandemic, um, my normal workspace is, uh, doesn't have a door. So 
I couldn't close the door, so I relocated everything to my stepdaughter's bedroom. She's living in Kingston right now. Uh, so I was able to commandeer her bedroom and turn it into my world headquarters uh, where I could do Zoom meetings with the door closed um, and my kids would not interrupt me. Because I'd be like that guy on the BBC interview, it, you know. Right. I, I, yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, so no one's bursting in behind that door behind no, you. No. Okay. So when you think back to the young Mark Sutcliffe, the kid who was skipped ahead of grade, who was fanatical about sports and things, who are your very earliest heroes? Who, who to this day might even still leave you a little starstruck? A couple of sports heroes come to mind. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I started watching hockey and this, the Senators didn't exist in Ottawa at that time. So I was a Montreal Canadiens fan and Guy Lafleur was, was my first sports hero. Um, I watched uh, the Canadians win the Stanley Cup four times in a row in the late 1970s. And he was their biggest star and, and uh, most charismatic figure. Um, and I did meet him when I became a sports journalist later on, uh, which was kind of cool. Um, I also was a huge Montreal Expos fan at that time. I loved baseball, still love baseball to this day. And one of my favorite players on the Expos was Terry Francona, who went on to manage and still managing in the major leagues with the Cleveland Indians. Um, so those were some of my early heroes. I also had some heroes in my immediate life, people that I who were a few years older than me that I really looked up to and, and wanted to be like, and uh, are still friends to this day. Still in the, uh, on the subject of uh, pulling back the curtain and getting up close and personal, we're going to do the uh, Lipton Pivo survey uh, inspired by uh, the great interviewer, James Lipton from inside the actor studio and the French journalist, Bernard Pivo. Mark Sutcliffe, what is your favorite word? Wow. Um, that's not my answer. Um, what is my favorite word? I would, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to think about that and come up with a list of finalists, but some of the words that come to mind right off the bat are perseverance and empathy. What is your least favorite word? I don't think we'd be allowed to say that on this podcast. <laughs> if it's a bad word, I'm sure, um, I'm sure Alexander can delete it. Yeah. Um, I would say failure. What turns you on? Opportunity. What turns you off? Inauthenticity. What sound or noise do you love? The sound of a baseball hitting my son's mitt. Is it a Rawlings? No, I don't know what brand of mitt it is, but it has a Montreal Expos logo on it because it's actually the mitt that I used when I was a kid. What sound or noise do you hate? Whining. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> um, I guess the one I probably use the most is the F word. Yeah, I don't use it that often, but that's, the, that's my go-to. Mm. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? I'd love to be a, a, a baseball play-by-play -play announcer. I did get to do some minor league play-by-play uh, -play announcing when Ottawa had a triple-A team in the 1990s, uh, and it was a blast.
What profession under no circumstances would you ever do? Teacher. If heaven exists, Mark Sutcliffe, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Your dad and sister are waiting for you. Do you have a personal creed or motto? It's the four or five words, Mark, that you truly live by. Um, I have a few. Um, I have them written down. They, some of them come from some of my favorite movies and TV shows, like Friday Night Lights, Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, Can't Lose. Uh, the coach repeats that. Um, I also often quote to my kids uh, the anti-hero from Breaking Bad, Walter White. I am the one who knocks. When you think about all of those experiences that we talked about today, the book, oh, The Long Road here, Can I Boston. mention one more? Can oh, I sure. One more? If it's going to be, it's up to me. I, I, all, which is the timeless message of personal accountability. But I was just curious, Mark, about when you process, and I can tell you're a thoughtful guy and very introspective, but when you think about your experiences as a runner, as a very accomplished uh, TEDx speaker, uh, author of The Long Road to Boston, what is the one question that business leaders need to be asking right now? Right now in the context of the coronavirus situation or? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. let's face it. We don't know essentially, Mark, what's coming out the other side. We don't know what shape and form it's going to take. But I'm always curious when I'm speaking to leaders right now to ask, well, what is the question leaders need to be asking? Because you and I already know we won't get the new answers until we start asking the different questions. Yeah, I would say it's what's my plan for the next 90 days and what can I do that nobody else can do? Tell us more about that. I think uh, everybody has unique skills and attributes and a unique market position or everybody ought to if they're going to be successful. Um, so I would drill down into that and say, you know, despite the circumstances, we can still do this. We're still the one company, the one organization that can deliver this for our clients. What is that? I think Jim Collins from Good to Great would call that the hedgehog concept, but it's even more relevant and more immediate right now of saying, uh, you know, everybody's time and resources are at a premium. So if they're going to give me their time and money, uh, what is it I'm going to give them in return that they can't live without and we're the only organization that can do it. Mark, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, I can't help but throw this in because it came off of uh, uh, the little bit of research I know that our producer, Catronel, performed. Uh, you can actually do the Rubik's Cube. I can. I, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking if, 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 
if this isn't society's version of the Rubik cube, the <laughs> pandemic of 2020, I don't know what is. So what help can you offer from that perspective, Mark? So, uh, you know, it's another metaphor for something we've been talking about all along. It's, it's not one thing. It's a series of things. I, I actually just taught my nine-year-old daughter to do it. Um, so we, we uh, had some fun with that. Um, but it, it, it is, it's actually a, you know, I'm, I, I'm discovering this for the first time as we talk here, Gary, it's a great metaphor for business because you don't solve the Rubik's cube by, uh, at least I don't, by looking at it and having one solution. Uh, you, you work at one side and finish that side. Then you look at the, how the rest of the cube looks and you figure out how to solve the next row. Then you look at how it looks and you would adapt to that and solve the next row. So that to me is a lot like being in business because you start somewhere, you build something, then you look at the world around you and you adapt and you build the next thing. And, uh, and that's the process of, for me of solving the Rubik's Cube. Mark, it's been a real pleasure to have you here on the Leadership Standard. Uh, thanks so much and wishing you and uh, everyone around you continued success. Thank you, Gary. It has been a real pleasure. I'm very inspired by what you do, and I've really enjoyed uh, our conversation today. We really appreciate having uh, Mark Sutcliffe joining us today. And if you want to know more about Tech Canada and its world-class programs, just check out the website, www.tech-canada.com, T-E-C-Canada.com. So what was it that Mark Sutcliffe spoke of that you know, made you stop and think. I've got a bunch of notes just listening to Mark here about how, you know, if we're not careful, uh, we can very easily look at things the wrong way, which is, I think, one of the great things about Mark's TED Talk. It forced me, when I looked at it, to say, wait a second, maybe I'm looking at some things uh, with a skewed perspective and need a little bit more clarity. I love what Mark also said about leadership. It's really coming down to, uh, it's not a solo act. Uh, you got to rely on other people. And the fact that um, if we're born into it, yeah, and there's some luck involved, yeah, but wait a second. Are you willing to run the nine or 10 marathons before you can actually really embark on the journey that matters? Uh, and so in that context, uh, those were some of my takeaways, but I'm always curious, you know, what were yours? So always feel free to share uh, your thoughts. You can send, uh, my direct email is gare at garemaxwell.com, G-A-I-R at G-A-I-R Maxwell.com. Uh, if you enjoyed uh, the Leadership Standard, feel free to repost, share with other people in your network. So can't recommend that enough. And uh, because who knows, we just might uh, reach that moment in time somewhere uh, in the digital landscape that uh, your sharing and your liking and your commenting actually helped inspire someone else uh, out there to uh, grab hold of the clutch, to kick it up a notch, go full throttle in this new frontier. So on behalf of everyone at Tech Canada uh, and the Leadership Standard, thanks so much for listening.